Hey guys, how's it going? I'm Dale. I'm uh, the lead pastor for City Life San Diego. Um, We've been going through this series in uh, the book of Psalms, and uh, it's been really fun so far and encouraging and uh, a downer at times as well. Um, But it's God's Word, and so uh, we enjoy God's Word, and we figure out, like, how does this apply to us for real? Um, Or do we just read through the Bible and just say, this is old and stale and doesn't, doesn't... doesn't agree with our life. And so, um, first I just want to say, you know, uh, I've been on vacation. I was on vacation for like 13 days, which is the longest vacation I've taken in a really long time. And I just want to appreciate that you guys care enough about uh, my health and the health of my family and the health of my wife that you would say, you should go, you should miss a Sunday, you should not preach for two weeks. And when I do that too, I come back and um, I'm just so excited to talk to you guys about what God's teaching me um, and really, uh, like, I love vacation and stuff, but I just, there's no place I'd rather be than Southeast. So I just love this neighborhood, and I, I just want to be here all the time. And um, even the hard things, sometimes it just gives me energy to be here. And so um, I just thank you guys for, for allowing my family to do that and giving me a blessing to do that and not calling me and be like, where are you at, Pastor? So... Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 49 today. We have Bibles in the back corner if you want that. You can open a Bible app. Um, and uh, I always appreciate it if you have a real Bible that you look, if, if you're not there yet, that you look in the front to see where it is so that no one would feel embarrassed by trying to look at the table of contents and finding it. It's okay if you don't know where Psalm 49 is in the Bible. So Psalm 49, you guys ready to hear it? Okay, here we go. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a liar. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surround me. They trust in their wealth and boast of their abundant riches. Yet they cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. Since the price of redeeming him is too costly, one should forever stop trying, so that he may live forever and not see the pit. For no one can see that the for one can see that the wise die, the foolish and stupid also pass away, then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes, their dwellings from generation to generation, though they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, mankind won't last. He's like the animals that perish. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words. Like sheep, they are headed for Sheol. Death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their form will waste away in Sheol, far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Do not be afraid when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases, For when he dies, he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down. Though he blesses himself during his lifetime, and you are acclaimed when you do well for yourself, he will go to the generation of his fathers. They will never see the light. Mankind with his assets, but without understanding, is like the animals that perish. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for those who are here that come burdened. Um, We thank you that they felt uh, strong enough to be here, Lord, and we ask that you would help them to find rest and peace. God, for those who are here that suffer from addiction, 
for those who are struggling, for those who are suffering from mental illness, God, I ask that you would encourage them this morning. God, we put our hope in so many other things besides you. Would you remind us of your greatness, your goodness, your power, your love for us, your children this morning? God, we love you. May the words of my mouth, the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. So uh, when, I, when I was looking at this sermon this week, um, I kind of had a basic outline for where I was going. I had picked out my points. I'd kind of seen some of, the, some of where I should go. And Tuesday morning, I received some really terrible news um, that we lost some friends of our family. And um, we lost them in as gruesome way as possible and as devastating as possible as well. Family of five. Um, wasn't an accident. Um, and, uh, and then I sat down after hearing this news and I looked at my points. And I was like, man, I cannot preach this sermon. I got to change it up. I got to do something else. Um, see, we had these friends and they contacted us the week before. They contacted us a week ago. And they were contacting us for help. And I was on vacation. And uh, we, uh, we sought to give help where we could. Um, we gave advice, um, but it wasn't enough, I guess. Um, and uh, uh, we lost five people, you know. And I, I, I had struggled with guilt this week because what if I had just said more? You know, what if I had just call, made some calls? What if I had... Um, but I didn't, know, I didn't know enough information to know that there was a man who was going to do something terrible to his family and then to himself. I had no idea. Their finances were a major concern for them. Um, their son had had uh, multiple, multiple, multiple surgeries, including heart surgeries. Um, I don't remember how young, age one. Um, and this financial um, burden weighed on them because Medicaid didn't cover their, their surgeries. Um, they had mountains of debt. And this was a cause of their friction. So I had decided to not preach this sermon because I just couldn't do it. Um, it was too soon. It was too soon to, to preach on death, and it was too soon to, to preach on finances, honestly. Um, I, I, just, I, I didn't want to do it. Um, but over time, I was reminded that many of us need to hear this message of hope. Um, Many of us need to hear the message of hope in light of circumstance. Everyone needs to hear this message. I needed to hear this message today. Friends, there is hope. And I just want to say to anyone in the room right now, if you're walking through something, there's a way out and there's help. And if you need it, we're here. Um, we're not perfect. We're not God. Um, but we want to help however we can. And so that's just my first thing, dude. There's always a way out. There's always something. It may feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. But friends, there is hope, and there's a better day. So that being said, I have three points to you today from Psalm 49. And um, the very first point I have for you is that wealth cannot save you. Um, wealth cannot save you. In, in verse 1, he says, Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all you who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. So who's the audience? Everyone, Right? He's talking about low and high, and he's not talking about the high that you might be thinking about, but he's talking about rich and poor together, okay? So that's everyone. So this isn't, this isn't like some like message for rich people. Hey, rich people, don't be all about money. This is like, hey, people, careful. 
It's dangerous. Then he says, my mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a lyre. So you guys know what a lyre is? L-Y-R-E. It's like a guitar. It's an early guitar. And so how is he telling you this? Man, he's telling you this through song. He's like singing this to you like it's cocoa or something, okay? So in verse 5, it says, Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surround me. They trust in their wealth and boast of their abundant riches. Yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God. Since the price of redeeming him is too costly, one should forever stop trying so he may live forever and not see the pit. So it's saying there is no amount of money or power that can save you from death or from the second death. He says stop trying to earn it. It's not going to work. We've we got to consider the ancient world's view of money at this time. Like, if you had money, you were blessed by God. If you didn't have money, you were cursed. This was the view of, this was the general view that the ancient world had of money. Like, if, if, you, if you had money, you must have done something right. You must, have, you must have done something right in another life. You must have done something right in this life. Or maybe God just loves you more. And then if you were poor, you were cursed, Right? You did something wrong in the last life or something like that. Now, uh, in our world, we know that that's different, right? We know that uh, if, if we have success in money, what do they tell you? You did something right. Okay, so maybe it's not that different, right? They, they're just saying that you worked harder, right? has nothing to do with circumstance, right? Even though perhaps some of us have an easier circumstance to, to have lots of money than other people. But they'll tell you, you did something great, and they look to those people, and we worship people that have money because we want to be just like them. It's so important in our society to have stuff, money, influence. But there's a better way. Even though this is like inherent to us, this sin of needing more is sown into our DNA, there is a better way. Now, there's a letter that Paul wrote to his student Timothy on these matters, and it's 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, where he says, But godliness with contentment is great, uh, great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So to be satisfied is a godly characteristic. To find satisfaction in God is not only godly, it's good for you, right? Now, do I think this means that you shouldn't work hard at your job? Do I think that you should sell everything and just move uh, like into a cave or uh, not work hard to move up the ladder and make a crap ton of money? No, no, I'm saying so long as you have healthy boundaries, I want you to be the CEO of your company. But it has to be healthy. The word that I find uh, in that First Timothy verse is craving right? Like how, like when we talk about craving, is that usually a good thing or a bad thing? Like maybe, I mean, I just cannot think of a time when I'm like craving chocolate um, where that's like a good thing, you know, because I'm craving like sugar. Maybe it's like because you have like a, like a, what's that called? A blood sugar problem. But for the most part, I mean, there's a problem there too, right? Um, But for the most part, craving after wealth, this is like an incessant desire, a need, a like, you like grit your teeth wanting something so bad, it's unhealthy. This is unhealthy. So when you want to work hard for your money, I'm not going to sing it. When you want to work hard for your money, um, that's okay. But when it becomes an idol, when it becomes the most important thing, when it becomes more important than the people around you, when it becomes more important than what God thinks, then that's when the problem starts to happen, right? 
needing more and more money is dangerous, and it's, it's ultimately not going to buy you what you need. So I read a book this week, because I do that, and uh, it was called Painfully Rich. It's by a guy named John Pearson, um, uh, an Englishman. And here's the deal. I wouldn't recommend this book to anyone. Like, if you want to be depressed, you should read this book. Um, it was made into a movie recently, actually, called All the Money in the World. And it follows the life of a billionaire named John Paul Getty. Getty was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 1892. He was born to an Oklahoma oil tycoon. But he took his father's money and he made it into an empire. Now, when I say he was a billionaire, like he was a serious billionaire. Like he became the richest man in the United States. Actually, he was, an, he was Irish in his heritage. There was a point in his life when he had almost exactly the same amount of money as Ireland. Okay, so you talk about a man who's rich. I think that's like in the stratosphere, right? So he was super rich, and he probably could have been very comfortable, right? But he wasn't, was he? <laughs> I bet you've already guessed that. Um, money soured John Paul Getty. It destroyed him, and it made him terrified at all times to lose it. His grandson, Paul III, was kidnapped in Italy, and the kidnappers demanded $17 million dollars. His response was this, I have 14 grandchildren. If I pay a penny of ransom, I'll have 14 kidnapped grandchildren. Now, you might say, yeah, we kind of get the idea behind that. Don't respond to terrorism this way, you know, something like that. Um, uh, but he wouldn't talk to the family because he didn't want them to bother him about the money. He wouldn't take their calls when they called him and desperately pleaded. At one point, the kidnappers, after uh, many, many months, like uh, three or four months actually, which is a long time, uh, lowered the price to $3.2 million. Um, and then to show that they were serious, they cut off his grandson's ear. Um, but Paul was still unwilling to negotiate. When it was clear that the boy was dying from the wounds of his infection in his ear, family finally convinced John Paul that it was time to help pay the ransom. No, 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 did you just hear what I said? I said, help. I didn't even say pay the ransom. The richest man in the world, in the United States at least, didn't want to help pay everything. He just wanted to help pay some of it. And you know what he wanted to pay? He wanted to pay the portion that he knew would be tax deductible. <laughs> Can you believe that? So really, was this about all his kids? Or was this about something else? Now the thing is, is like, because he was able to hold on to this money, you would think, okay, well maybe he was happy. Like, how do you sleep at night? I sleep on a big pile of money. Um, but death haunted him wherever he turned. Wherever he turned, he was terrified of losing his finances to death. He refused to go to bed. He slept in his recliner, not because it was comfortable, but because people died in their beds. He refused to leave England and go back to his home in America because he believed airplanes were dangerous and he would die in an air accident. He had three facelifts to hold on his youth. And ironically, the third facelift was messed up, and he, it made him look much older. <laughs> uh, I'm not laughing at him. Uh, now, the author John Pearson said this. He said, death is harder for the rich to face than for its humbler mortals, the rich having so much more to lose and leave behind them. He's, he's lusted after money so much that he's holding on to it as tight as he can, clenching his fists, clenching his teeth, thinking, if I can just hold on to this, I'll be happy. 
And probably the more he denied others justice, the more he denied others care, the more he denied others love, he realized that this was his only heaven. This was it because there was going to be a day when he was going to have to come to the judgment. And he was going to have to realize that all he had done had squandered away his true treasure, his true heritage. Pearson says this about Getty after he died. There are limits to godlike powers that wealth bestows on mortal billionaires, and nothing could relieve him of the final act required of him. He had always been a quiet, lonely man, and during the night of June 6, 1976, still sitting in his favorite armchair, ironic, not his bed, silently and quite alone, he died. Death is a great diminisher, and it was strange how insignificant America's richest man appeared once he died. So friends, I ask you, what are you striving for? What if you got everything you want? Do you think you would be happy? Man, we get, all of us have something right here that we're just like, if we just get that one thing, I just know I'm going to be happy. But, but that pedestal that you look up to becomes level ground again, and you find yourself just looking to the next thing, right? Over and over and over and over again. You see this with families, right? Like when we're kids, right? We're like, man, when I just get old enough, I, I, like, I'll get out of my parents' house, and they won't be able to tell me what to do anymore. And then we think, man, if I could just get married, then I'll be stoked. And then it's like we have these little babies, and I'm like, man, if I could just get some sleep. And then it's like, man, once my kids get out of school, then I know that they're going to go to college, and I'm going to be okay. And then it's like, oh, once my kids are in college, i got to figure out how to help pay for this. And so once I help pay for them, then I'll be okay. And then you find yourself old and thinking, man, if I could just die. The thing is, is we're always, always, always looking for that next thing, but it never, ever satisfies, does it? It never does. So friends, what are you striving for? What do you think would make you happy? We recently lost a fashion mogul who made these like really cool handbags that ladies seem to like. I don't understand why. And we, we recently lost a television celebrity who seemed like he was at the top of his game, who seemed like he was the happiest dude, who traveled around the world having exotic foods, talking to people, sitting down to dinner, enjoying himself, and yet he was unsatisfied. They had everything they wanted and they were terribly, terribly unhappy. So friends, even if you've got everything you wanted, listen to this second point. Death comes for everyone. Death comes for everyone. Now, I, I want you to know that like, I've gone to pastors before who do this, like, um, what do we call it, like Helen Brimstone speech. Um, I just preach the Bible. So sometimes I'm talking a lot about how like, suffering is a thing that happens because that's in the Bible. Today, I guess we're getting a little bit of brimstone. So just because that's where the Bible's going today. And uh, we're just going through the Psalms. So death comes for everyone, for the rich, for the poor, for the high, for the low, for the foolish, for the wise, for the old, for the young. Verse 10, it says, for, no, for one can see that the wise die. The foolish and the stupid pass away. Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes, their dwellings from generation to generation, though they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, mankind will not last. He's like the animals that perish. Like sheep, they are headed for Sheol, which is death, Right? Um, some people would call that hell. Some people call it death. We don't totally know. Death will shepherd them. Now, um, one thing I just got to say is like, no matter how much you save, no matter how much you build, there is going to be a day when your great, great, great grandkids spend it all on like the newest Xbox 360 and the newest plasma. The thing is, is no matter how much wealth, no matter how much foundation you build up, there will be a day when a fool spends it all. For some of you, though, you look at this idea that death comes to everyone, and you might think it's negative. 
You might think this is negative. Death comes for everyone. But for the reader of the psalm, or singer who's playing on the lyre, guitar solo, um, he was probably feeling oppressed or abused. This would have been good news if that was you. For the slave who reads this, this might be good news. For those stuck in institutional poverty, this might seem like good news. For those who were oppressed in the Jim Crow South, this might have been good news. They might have thought, hey, the one who oppresses me, that person's going to die one day, and they will face their maker, and I will have my justice. So sometimes when you think about verses like this, you might think this is all about like, hey, you're going to die. But you know what? If you're reading this and you're struggling and you're hurting, you may see that those who hurt you, those who oppress you, that person's going to receive justice too. Our translation of this um, uh, for the wicked, it's, uh, there's a few different translations I'd like to read you. Um, one says, death will shepherd them. That's kind of cool. Now I'm going to read you a different translation that uh, I think is even more ugh, like weird but kind of cool. Um, one translation says this, death will feed on them. That's, that's pretty nuts. The idea that those who oppress the poor and those who hurt others and those who make everything about themselves, death will feed on them. And I don't know if that's, that's, that's thinking about maybe the idea of us deteriorating or worms or anything like that, but I actually think it's more than that. On the other hand, the psalmist speaks of those who work to put their names on buildings. Perhaps if you leave a legacy, you will endure forever, right? Like maybe you found the, the elixir of everlasting life in the way that you just keep your name to continue on forever. Who knows? Maybe some of you guys are trying to do that through good works. One day you will die, and even your name may live on, but I promise you, nobody will care. I know this sounds like bad news, but I'm going to get to the good news, I promise. Has anyone, I'm going to say this wrong, has anyone heard of St. Didicus before? Like maybe if, maybe like if you're Catholic or you grew up Catholic, you might have heard of him. Um, St. Didicus um, was the patron saint of Spain, okay? Um, and he was like kind of a big deal. He was a Catholic saint. Now once there was a major outbreak of disease in Rome, and Didicus went and he cared for the sick and the poor, and many people were healed. Like, I would truly believe that most likely this was a godly man who did something good and people were healed. And I would truly believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, people were truly healed. Um, but many years after his death, when someone important was injured, they would drag out the body of St. Didicus and put his hands on the different sick kings or princes. Check this. Okay, Henry IV of Castile was supposedly healed when he had like a tumor and they took out his body and had him like sleep next to him in bed. St. Didicus's body. Okay, it had been a while, okay? Now, after that, the son of King Philip II was supposedly healed after he got super drunk, went out carousing with some women the night before, then fell down some stairs. They found him in the morning, um, and they did the same thing. They, they dug up St. Didicus or got him out of the, the catacombs and put him with uh, this young man, and he was healed again. So thank you, St. Didicus. So he healed... He healed people who were poor in Rome, and he healed a king, and he healed a dude who just got a little too drunk and like was doing stuff with ladies that she shouldn't have done. And somehow God still used St. Didicus' body to heal him. I don't know about the, the second stuff, um, but it seems like he has a pretty important legacy, right? Now, I got one guy who nodded at me that he heard St. Didicus. Has anybody else heard of St. Didicus before? Did I say it right? I don't even know. Yeah? All right. Good for me. Um, 
You're telling me you guys haven't heard of the patron saint of Spain? Okay, how about his Spanish name? Saint Diego. San Diego. Oh, yeah, we heard of him. We say his name all the time, don't we? But most of you, in a week, you're not really going to care who he is. Like, even though his name has lived on, has his legacy lived on with you? He was a, it seems like he was a godly man, and he was doing godly good things. And yet, nothing. Verse 11, their graves are their permanent homes. Their dwellings from generation to generation, but they have named estates after themselves. But despite his assets, mankind will not last. He's like the animals that perish. Now remember that guy, John Paul Getty, I was talking about? You might have heard the name Getty before. Getty Images, the Getty Museum. The fact is, is that there's a Getty Museum because John Paul Getty left almost nothing to his family. So he could have a museum with his name on it. What a rad dude, huh? Um, now his mom set up a trust for his family because she, she knew him. But he hoped to keep his good name going. And I say good in quotations. His name may continue, but his reputation also continues, friends. And it's bad. He wanted to live forever, but he died in his armchair. And now there are trustees over his museum that could actually sell all of the assets of his museum and make it into like a coffee mug museum, and no one would be able to do anything about it. That would be, I mean, we could make it like a clown nose museum. Like they could do anything they want, and nobody could stop them. That is the name of Getty, and it would be the name of clowns, right? So like even though he did everything he could, like forget my family, I want my legacy, it will not endure. One day, someone will decide, you know what, we should spend all our money on that newest plasma TV. I don't know why I'm picking on plasmas. We don't even have those anymore. I have a plasma TV, and it still works. Maybe you're the best at something. Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time. And still, even if you, he was great during our time, all these people are talking about this, this LeBron guy now. Like, dude, he was Michael Jordan. Like, did you see him play the flu game? Like, he was the best of all time. And yet, no, like, nobody like under 20 considers that anymore. Like, for them, it's LeBron. And really, I'm sure there's some people that would say, sit down, young man. Let's talk about Kareem or let's talk about um, some of these other dudes because some guys want more chance. Okay, here's the thing. No matter how good, no matter how great you are, if your legacy is in the things you do, if your legacy is in the money you have, you're going to die. And over time, it will disappear. Maybe you're the best at something, but I encourage you to move forward in the only relationship that lasts until the end of time. James 4, 13 through 14. James 4, 13 through 14 says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We don't really talk about vapor after they're gone, do we? So friends, again, I ask you, what are you striving for? Tomorrow is not a guarantee. And if death is inevitable, and verse 7 is true, that no man can by any means redeem his brother or give uh, God a ransom for him, then what chance does anyone have? None on our own. None on our own. And that brings us to point three, praise God, that we can talk about something positive, right? Only God can redeem us. Point three, only God can redeem us. But you have to respond, and he, he's not going to force himself on you. 
Now, verse 8 says this, Since the price of redeeming him is too costly, one should forever stop trying, so that he may live forever and not see the pit. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, I think it's, I think it's solved in verse 15. But God, but God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Those who trust in their Redeemer are the ones who will find true victory and there will be everlasting results. Now, just because something is free doesn't mean it isn't costly, right? Like, I think sometimes we downplay things that are free, don't we? Because there's always a catch. Like, there's always an angle. There's always a hustle, right? Like, even if you come to church, like, you got to think that, like, your pastor has an angle. That happens all the time, which is why I love to talk to my friends who don't live in the city anymore. And I'm like, dude, get your butt to church. Dude, give to your church. And I love saying it. You know why? Because it doesn't benefit me. <laughs> Here's the thing. Do you ever, did you have a fax machine ever? Did anyone have a fax machine? I don't know, maybe a few of us. Did you get the, like, free Disney vacation, like, ad, like, all the time? Because I did. I got a free Disney vacation ad, but you guys, I never responded. Isn't that so weird? It's because there's an angle, right? Okay, some of us have email. Now, one time I got this email, and I I just want to say I was so honored to receive an email from the son of the deposed Nigerian prince asking me to help him get his money out of Nigeria? Dude, I just needed to send him a little bit. And he would send me a ton, right? Now, why didn't I send any money? Because it's an angle, because it's a scam, because it's not real. Like, how, how did you win the lottery in a foreign country and you didn't even enter? Do they even have a lottery in Angola? I don't know, but I won it. Here's the thing, though. We're so used to looking at something that's free. We're so used to looking at something that's free and thinking, mm, nope, there's a catch. There's a catch. But the gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ is free. So what is the gospel? The gospel is just very simply this. There was a time when Jesus left the perfection of heaven. And when I say the perfection of heaven, I say no disease, no sorrow, no suffering. And he came to earth as a child born in a crappy stable. And I say crappy because there was literally poop in the stable, right? And he was born into stench and disease and sweat He was born to a world where he would get the flu. God himself left perfection to get the flu. You guys, as your pastor, I need to trust God more with the flu. When I get around someone with the flu, I will jump away from them because I cannot throw up. It just grosses me out. Can you imagine it if you have never thrown up, if you have never had any disease, if you have never hit your your hand with a hammer, if you've never done any of these things and you said, you know what, I want to do that. Well, why did he leave heaven for us? he absolutely loved you. Your name was written on his heart. He cared enough about you that he would do anything. Now, we know that living on this planet is not the hardest thing to do. Compared to heaven, maybe, but he did more than that, right? He lived a perfect life. He was allowed to be tempted by the devil. And then even after he lived a perfect life, what did he do? He willingly gave himself up as a sacrifice on the cross so that we might have life. And then he rose again, showing that he defeated sin and death for us. So when we say, Jesus offers you this, and we go, man, there's a catch. Yeah, there is a catch. It cost him everything. It cost him everything. And at the same time, here's the real catch. He says to count the cost. He He says that we should surrender our entire lives to him. 
Now, you're listening to a pastor who has something to benefit from that. So you've got to look at the Bible. You've got to decide for yourself. You've got to pray about it. But here's what I'm saying. Jesus gave everything for you so you might have a perfect relationship with him. He died for you. He had his beard pulled out. He was spit upon so he could redeem us. Because who can be ransomed? Can you be ransomed with money or good works or a good reputation or wealth? Or perhaps maybe you're just so smart that you deserve ransom. The answer is no. It only comes from God, from Jesus Christ who redeemed us. It's not cheap, but it is absolutely free. Ephesians 1, 3 through 7 says this, Blessed is God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us, the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, and the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. What does that mean, you guys? It means that he bought us with a price if we are willing. And he's willing to adopt us as sons. And I say that to you ladies as well. This is very specifically saying, you are sons of God in that you receive all the inheritance that a man would receive at that time. That's a big deal. That he's willing to adopt you into his family, that's a big deal. So once more, I ask you, friends, what are you striving for? How's it worked out so far? Are you looking up at that pedestal thinking, if I just get there, and I say to you, what if you just got everything you wanted? Would it save you? Would it redeem you? Would it make you even happy? And I, I say, no. Why are you trying to buy something that you could never afford? You cannot purchase forgiveness. You cannot purchase love or eternal life. It has already been purchased for you. So why are you waiting? Allow Jesus to be your true treasure. Allow the freedom of the cross to break your chains of addiction. But friends, I say this too. You must surrender to him. You must say, you must be Lord of my life, God. You must say, God, I'm tired of doing it my way. Could we try yours out now? I want to follow you. Stop worshiping the gifts, friends. Let's look to the giver and see how much he truly loves you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, this, uh, this hard message for me as a reminder, God, that God, I, I'd, I'd like to do enough good things to be in heaven based on my own merit. And, and, and when I look even at this verse, I see that's just futility. And so, God, I know that there are others in this room that have all these different things that they, they want to do to earn your love, that want to do to feel good about themselves, that want to be confident. And, God, we know that you already adore them. And so, God, I ask that you would give them that peace. And for anyone in, in this room who has not accepted the gospel as truth, who have not confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, that desires to be saved, I pray that now um, that you silently would confess your sinfulness, and say, Jesus, I like your way better. And for those of you who consider yourselves to be Christians, in this moment of silence, we are going to confess our sins to Jesus, the places where we have fallen short, with an understanding that he will forgive us.
God, you're so good. I can think about where I was headed before I met you. God, I still feel like uh, left to my own devices, I would go straight there. But I thank you that you are present here in my life, in your word, and my friends who would encourage me to follow you for real. God, I ask that you would comfort those who need comfort this morning, that you would forgive us our sins. And we thank you that as far as the east is from the west, so our sins are from your sight. When we come truly confessing to you, acknowledging you as Lord of our life. God, for those who struggle today, I, I ask that you would be their encouragement. Thank you for your forgiveness and your love. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.